this episode was recorded the weekend that Avengers Infinity War opened, and it's all about Infinity War. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you might not want to listen because of spoilers. The Incomparable, number 404, April 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And, you know, we don't cover new release movies all that often, but every now and then we get enough people who see a movie on opening weekend or thereabouts, and we do one. And this is one of those because, like, the movie with the biggest opening weekend ever happened, and it's a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Avengers Infinity War um, Part 1. Yes, part one, although they didn't give it that name. Uh, And indeed, we are going to talk about it in this episode that has been posted practically immediately after we watched it, more or less. Um, Let me tell you about who is here to talk about Avengers Infinity War with me in this episode. Dan Morin is here. Hi, Dan. Oh, we're we're using our made-up names. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Wait, nope, I'm still Dan Morin. Hi, Jason. You mean there's a Tony and a not Tony? Tony Sindelar, hello. And my axe. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, nerds. And uh, not Tony is Chip Sutter. Hi, Chip. I'm here for the Beta Ray Bill agenda. They called it Stormbreaker, y'all. Yeah, it's true. Is that good or bad for the Beta Ray Bill (laughs) agenda, though? We'll have to discuss that. Lisa Schmeiser is here. Hello. There's an an Ant-Man and a Spider-Man. And a (laughs) Spider-Man. What has been going on? And Alyssa Frankie is here. Hello. I'm just Voldemorting my way out of this mess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Avengers: Infinity War. So we're gonna. I thought I thought we'd go through um, character by character, and we'll be here for eight hours. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great. Mm, it's not gonna happen. I, how how to talk about this? I, I'm gonna ask for opening statements. I'm gonna give you my brief opening statement first, which is I know not very nice of the host to go first, but here I am doing it, which is just to say that um I remember when I thought the original Avengers movie was amazing in how it took like five characters and stuck them together in a plot and thought that that was like the high bar of like can we make something i remember saying at the time something like i cannot believe this movie is as coherent and good as it is given all it had to do well this one had to do that like times 10 which i think and i think actually did a very good job they've come a long way in the intervening time because because i i feel like i'm just magnifying what i said about the original avengers which is by all rights a movie that must include everybody who's been in every marvel cinematic universe movie over the last 10 years in some form should be a complete mess and the fact that it is some approaching coherent is uh i think we're very fortunate that this movie is as coherent as it is because wow uh wow anyway uh who else has any opening statements they would like to make john syracuse is not here so he can't make one (laughs) i want to throw out something just talk about like really briefly when i was a teenager you know and i got into comic books I, you know, picked up, you know, a random X-Men comic book and kind of started going from that point. And so it was always a little tough with those because trying to figure out all the continuity either meant going back and trying to read everything. And you could it's like boiling the ocean like you could never you could never do it. Um, And you would just keep reading and there'd be references to all these other comic books. Right. Because Marvel wanted you to pick up. Oh, see Avengers 366. Right. Like, you know, oh, guy, run out and find that. Um, and so in some ways, the, the MCU is kind of, for me, not only is it a slightly more manageable thing volume wise, but it's also the fact that I feel 
as someone who's been here since the beginning and like started watching when that first Iron Man movie came out, it feels very rewarding. It's designed to like pluck at all those those rewarded neurons of like, all right, you've you've put in the time, you've put in the hours, and now you get to the reward of doing all of this and and seeing all these characters put together, which is kind of delightful for me i agree with you jason i think it worked as is much better than i thought it could um but it was also i think i'm hesitant to say that you need to grade on a curve slightly but i think there is a degree of difficulty that is inherent in this and i think that's 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 an interesting problem to look at because as so many people point out this is not a type of movie that we've ever really seen before in that way. Yeah, this is a movie, like, I think I said that's with the Age of Ultron uh, episode that we did, that, you know, it's not a standalone movie. This is a movie that is designed to pay off for people who have been watching, you know, let's say it, the most successful film franchise of the last decade. Like, it's changed how movies are Literally made. Literally a decade, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to compare this to anything else, because I'm not sure what other movie I've seen that had... 31 hours of previewing before it right like <laughs> yeah you know and like whether you can there's people who complain about that as a bad thing but like i mean i feel like that was part of the deal like yeah. we, you signed on to this like 10 years ago sorry <laughs> um, if you can read seven harry potter books you can certainly watch 18 marvel movies if you can binge seven seasons of a TV show over yeah, a weekend right. you can yeah, watch yeah. this sure. mcu or like if you didn't want to watch 18 Marvel movies. If you didn't even want to watch, say, 12 Marvel movies. Why are like, you here? Yeah, don't watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah, you know, it's, it's like if I, if I buy like the 15th book in the Game of Thrones series and then complain that like, I don't understand what's going on. Well, why, why did I not buy the Tony, first? Book? Tony, there's oh. no way they got to 15 books. The, the line that made me laugh is somebody, there's a, um, there was a New Yorker uh, piece that was basically saying like, oh this God. thing is just a, an ad for all the previous movies. And, and, and it's, a, I rolled my <laughs> eyes at that review, but the, the tweet that made me laugh, there was a tweet that said, Hey, I just I just watched this Deathly Hallows part two, and who is this kid with the glasses? I guess he's some sort mm. of magician. It's like, yeah, I mean, really. I want I want to hear these people review the New Testament. Let's see how they feel about that. <laughs> it's not. I mean, these aren't movies in the same way. In fact, I saw somebody say this is part one of the two part Marvel season finale, yes. and it's like, yeah, yeah that's about yeah. that's about yeah. right. That's that's what this is. By all, by all rights, it should have been seven seasons of a yeah. TV show, but you know, bigger Six budget seasons in a movie, really. Yeah. And but, I, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know, especially opening weekend who are these people that uh went to see a movie on opening weekend that they hadn't seen all the other movies before or at least a majority of them yeah it would be like it would be like throwing me on a doctor who podcast i've never seen the show so literally there'd be no point in me watching the new jody whitaker doctor who and be like because i wouldn't get any of the things that make it so rewarding to people who have been investing years in this series and understand why some plot lines are significant or what some developments mean for the doctor are we supposed to believe that a police box can fly? That doesn't make any sense. Chip, explain <laughs> right? yourself. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give me 50 years of backstory on that. The Doctor Who parallel is interesting because there are times in Doctor Who where you want everybody new to come aboard and have a welcoming starting point. But, you know, this isn't that. This is the season finale. And I think from what I've read of what Marvel executives have said, there is sort of this feeling that after these two movies, the sequel to this that'll come out next year, are over, that they will be kind of in a place where they will be sort of starting a new era but this is the end of the old era so not not the best time to jump on board i kind of want to address a transitional quality with this film that left me kind of sad and that saying with the caveat there were a it's gonna sound like i'm meh, meh, meh about the film there's a lot i really liked about it um I think there were a lot of really rewarding character beats i think there were a lot of really hilarious interactions um I'm hesitant to say, you know, oh, this film 
statement of judgment because I feel like it's like part one of a two-parter and I'm looking forward to seeing part two so I can finally say, yeah, this is what they did. It's great. But the thing that made me sad when I was watching it last night is the two MCU films that preceded it were um, Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther, both of which like raised the bar and both of which had really great and interesting things to say about the effects of colonization. Um, you know, for an example with Thor Ragnarok, it's like, this is what happening when, when the, when the results of empire building come home to roost, you have to reckon with this violent history. It tears apart your society. And at the same time, you know, it ends with the people with with Thor, the people of Asgard. He's like, Asgard is with the people. It's not a place. It's our shared culture, which, you know, I, there's some fairly strong parallels to different, you know, cultural things that go on around the world. When you have indigenous peoples who are like, no, we're still ourselves. We, It's our culture that makes us who we are, not where we live. So there's that. And then there's Black Panther, which is all about here's what happens when you have an African nation that has not been ravaged by colonizers in any way. It doesn't have a legacy of slavery. It doesn't have a legacy of exploitation. It provides a model for what happens when you leave a country alone and or rather it gets left. It makes sure you leave it alone and it can progress and provide an alternate model for doing things. And in this movie, the first thing you see is Asgard is a people, not a place. Well, Asgard is now a people who are floating in little tiny pieces in outer space. And then the second thing is their solution to to the problem is, oh, let's have a bunch of white people bring the fight to Wakanda. And let's just destroy this nation that has recently decided that, okay, fine, we'll parlay with the rest of the world. And I thought, oh, my God, this is great. They've just taken centuries of not being affected by white man's BS and brought the BS straight to their doorstep. Um, So I was I I was a little sad that the tremendous statements and the reckoning that the MCU had inadvertently provided and the opportunities, opportunities it had to take a look at, to, to model these, 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 fan, these, these fantastic uh, fantasy universes in ways that let you take a look at the world. And it felt like a little bit of a step back in that sense. You know, like it was kind of resetting the button to, nope, the default is white man need, th- white people need things to happen because it's convenient for the plot. So here we go. And that made me a little sad. It made me feel like some of the, the really good stuff from Ragnarok and Black Panther had been kind of rolled back for expediency. It's funny, the this movie, I believe, was written before those two movies, too. So there were a lot of moving pieces there. Although I think the interview I read with a screenwriter said that... The, the, they said the, they checked in. That the intent, it, with, the intent with Black Panther, anyway, was uh, that they, they actually were going with the idea that this is this is kind of the price that after T'Challa decides to open up the uh, the country, that this is what happens is all the, all the, the crap th- uh, falls through. But I did have that moment of like, no, 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 don't go to Wakanda. No, 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 that's bad because the bad people are coming and they're going to break Wakanda. If you touch a hair on Sherry's head, I will ruin yeah, someone. But this is not yeah. a Black Panther podcast. So, so yeah. um, Alyssa, do you have any uh, opening thoughts? Yeah. So I think one of the things that struck me about this movie was how they move some characters forward. I think the thing that always struck me about Avengers was that they balanced all of those characters and found ways to push them forward, which is always hard when you have an ensemble coming together because everyone basically wants the greatest hits, you know, to bring back to the uh, Doctor who parallel that we were going with earlier when you have all the doctors come together for an episode nobody really wants to see character progression they want to see the other doctors ragging on each other uh and that's basically what we got with infinity war we put everybody together and it was basically the let's insult each other uh show for the next two and a half hours um which provided some of the greatest comedy moments of the entire thing uh why is gamora uh kind of made me cry laughing um 
But, you know, they, they did also manage to push each character forward to kind of their worst point. You got to see a bit of uh, Vision and Wanda and sort of the idea of what their relationship was going to be like and sort of what their hopes were. Um, you see Tony basically having all of his worst fears come true. Uh, that last moment uh, with Peter um, just about broke my heart watching that um, because it's, you know, it, 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 it was not just his worst fear happening. It was a fear he didn't fully realize yet because the last time he had a vision of what might happen if that unnamed terror came to be, it was losing Steve. That's the thing that he was most afraid of. And he's just got this kid that he's become responsible for. And he's a little uncertain about it all and a little afraid of this kid who wants to jump headfirst into danger. And it's like seeing this new fear realized. Um, I think the thing that really got me too about this was I didn't expect it to be quite so uh, philosophically complex because but what you basically had was a discussion of Malthusian uh, ethics. Um, and it, I, Malthus, if, if you're not familiar, was a, a guy that basically uh, with some very questionable tech techniques came to the conclusion that with the growth of population and the finite resources of the earth that we were heading towards uh, a catastrophe um, that we would far outstrip the resources of the earth and basically there would be mass famine um, and it got really translated into some horrible ideas there was forced sterilization forced birth control um it's where you actually get the line in a christmas carol by charles dickens of uh if they're going to die then let them do it and decrease the surplus population as a criticism of malthusian ethics and you basically have gamora standing up and saying you have no idea that what you think is going to happen with you know planets you know, falling, uh, just basically getting destroyed because of lack of resources is going to happen. Um, and so it's like an actually interesting path to take Thanos on, um, which I thought was just everything that they did with him was really interesting. He ended up being a far more complex villain than I thought he was going to be based off the glimpses that we had of him in the last couple of movies. Um, so they managed about 500 million different characters. Uh, they managed to push those characters forwards. And it was actually a kind of fraught and interesting philosophical uh, conversation between all of them. So uh, bonus points for actually keeping me engaged and uh, not reminding me that I didn't have to pee until the very end waiting for the end credit scene through the interminable credits. <laughs> it is two and a half hours long. That is one way you it's can get so 40, 40 characters into a movie. I, I wasn't bored by it, but it's very long. Alyssa, I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because I was thinking about Paul Ehrlich's The Population Bomb from the 1970s mm -hmm. um, the whole time, too. But this also has me thinking, if Thanos is snapping people, his fingers, and killing off 50, or like erasing 50% of the population, I was like... You have all of these incredibly powerful stones, and if you're that concerned about population control, why aren't you also changing people's capacity to reproduce? Or, or, or you could just make more planets or more resources. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, yeah. no, no. He's not a builder. He has a death cult. He's got, you know, there's a certain... Lisa, he may have he may have an agenda, but he also has a certain aesthetic he has to be beholden yes. to. Because <laughs> so. I was like, why does he just... I said, why doesn't he just, you know, erase the, rec the re recollection of the disappeared? Because if I were Thanos and I'm like, okay, my goal is to reduce the population of the universe by 50 
50% because I'm not smart enough to think about... Or 100% in the case of certain populations like Asgard. So, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I have killed half of you, and now I've blown up your ship with the other half. Sorry. I, I was like, it'd be really interesting and heartbreaking if at the end of the movie, you know, people people turn to their dust and they float away, and then Thanos snaps his fingers again, and almost, almost, and this is the key, almost everyone actually forgets about the existence of the people who've been wiped out of existence. Yeah, that would be merciful. I'm not sure Thanos is too concerned about mercy he's a he's a guy with beliefs he specifically says he he's it's merciful though i think tony nailed it which is he 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 is it's a death cult and in the source material he's like in love with death so that's the other part of this also i mean that's part of it too once again lisa would be an amazing consultant for a supervillain and we're all we're all very fortunate that that hasn't come yet (laughs) yes although when i pick away from journalism that's where i'm going (laughs) dr doom uh on line one now this episode of the incomparable is brought to you in part by a new sponsor quill for quick meals life gets hectic work gym cooking parental duties there's a lot to fit in you might find yourself running out the door in a hurry no time to eat or there's nothing in the fridge you really need to just get going but you do need something nutritious with the complete meals from quill you always have a tasty, nutritious meal ready to go. They've made a complete meal that fits perfectly in morning or lunchtime routines. It's a shake you make with water, and within seconds you have a complete meal with essential carbs, fats, proteins, vitamins, and minerals. I've tried it out the last couple of weeks. I've made them as lunch replacements, because sometimes I uh, don't have good lunch stuff in the house, and other times I just don't want to take a break and make myself lunch, because I got other stuff I got to do, so I've had a quick shake for lunch, and I get back to work, which has been great, and I've also done it in the morning, because sometimes I do not want to make myself an English muffin, or a bagel, or uh, pour some cereal, or whatever. I just want to get going, and I have had a quill shake for that, too. I really like the strawberry, although they've got a chocolate. They've got some other flavors that are really nice, too. You can take your pick. I haven't tried the banana yet. I'm going to have to do that. But uh, it comes ready to drink. There's a shaker and a scoop. And you can choose how large or small to make the meals. You never have to go without a quality meal again. If the cupboards are bare and you can't bear to go out again, try one of these shakes. It can help a lot to uh, just get you on with your day and you won't be hungry. You could sleep in a little longer knowing you can have that meal ready in seconds. Go to quail.com. That's Q-U-E-A-L.com slash incomparable. And if you use the offer code incomparable, you'll get 15% off your first order thank you to quail for their support of the incomparable chip do you have any opening thoughts so i will say that i saw the movie twice and i liked it a lot better the second time the first time i came out of it so cold i actually contemplated whether or not and i I repeat i liked it a lot better the second time the first time i thought i really need to go back home and finally finish watching The Incredible Hulk so I can decide which is my least favorite Marvel Cinematic (laughs) Universe movie. (laughs) I got better. (laughs) Um, But the the things that happened that I really wasn't expecting and I wasn't expecting to feel as strongly as I did. Um, My favorite MCU movies to date, Thor Ragnarok, the Guardians of the Galaxy series, Black Panther, you know, really, really important to me. So before the uh, before the opening title card they kill off Loki and Heimdall and th- all all of the Asgardian refugees and it's not and it's happening in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that is not the Thor series and then a little while later they kill off Gamora 
And that's the, for me, that's the heart of the Guardians of the Galaxy series. And that's another of my toys that they've broken. Uh, and you, and, uh, and then the, as Lisa pointed out, you know, Wakanda in this movie has, has a very different impact than, uh, you know, the, the just awe inspiring stuff that we saw in February, uh, in Black Panther. So I, I, I was actually sad and somewhat angry when I left the theater the first time because I had just sat through two hours and 40 minutes of defeat and of my favorite toys being broken. The second time I saw it, now that the emotional the emotional response was gone, um, it sat a lot better with me because I saw what was going on. I was able to put myself in the frame of mind that, you know, this is this is, you know, against that New Yorker column. This is a different kind of movie. This is an extension of the cinematic universe. It's not supposed to be in, a done in one thing. And you have to look at these other movies as part of the greater cin- Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> but that first time, man, I was I was I was sad, I was angry, um and and I was also weirdly enough in a theater full. I may have been projecting a little bit, but I was in a theater full of people who based on their reactions to the uh trailers that ran. You know, I had seen all of these trailers. Man, I hit I hit YouTube the second, you know, uh, I'd seen the Venom trailer. Uh I'd seen yeah. the Deadpool trailer, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> but the but the the people in that theater were reacting as though they'd seen these this stuff for the first time. Um which told me that these are fans who care enough about seeing Avengers on opening night or at least don't want to get, have it, Avengers spoiled for them and they don't want to have to avoid social media. But they're not such fans that they knew, for example, that Adventures Infinity War was originally going to be titled Part One. Part One, yep. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this movie, the vibe in the room, in, in the theater, was deadly. I know this thing's got a, a cinema score of A. Uh, I know that people love this thing and it's made all kinds of money. In that one room, in that one t- time, people were like, what? They lost? And then, and then at the end of the credits, when the credits when when the when the screen says Thanos will return, <laughs> one woman just yells from the back, "Oh f off!" Uh, <laughs> that, got, that, that got a big laugh in my in my theater among those who stuck to the end of the credits because yeah. it was mm-hmm. a it was a, a funny moment. But Chip, you make a point. You bring up this issue, and and, and we need to talk about it, which is. Um, this is first off. I do think it's relevant if you go in um, to a movie expecting it to be relatively self-contained, like all other Marvel movies are. Mm-hmm. You are expecting for them. Oh, how are they going to get out of this at the end? It, right. It's almost like it's it's like a marketing bait and switch, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's like probably they have data that says putting part one on our movie is bad, and so we mm-hmm. didn't do that. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be. I knew that. It had originally, it had been filmed and it's been filmed back to back, right? Yes. So I just figured, I, I, I was surprised it ended where it did. I thought there would be like, I, I wasn't expecting the Empire Strikes Back ending. I thought there would be something more like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to compare it to, but I, I thought uh. there would be some kind of thing and there would be a logical, and now here's the follow up story to that as opposed to like, oh no, the story, the main story has not ended. And yeah. in fact, we just, you know, killed off half the characters you love. Sorry. Um, so but that, did they? But did they? Yeah. Cause, and I don't know. Because none well, of the original I mean, I Avengers know. have been touched. It's been like... I know. I mean, I, I, yeah. I was keeping track as they killed the people mm-hmm. off. And when they yeah. got to Black, Black Panther, I was like, oh, this is temporary. I love when, then, when so. Black Panther and, and Spider-Man dissolve into ash.
Ash, yes. I thought to myself, yeah. this is the movie saying yeah. it's going to be okay. The, Don't the, worry. Mystery, yeah. the yeah. mystery is how they reverse this, not will they? Yeah. But like Bucky, Bucky, I was like, oh, well, Bucky. They broadcast, yeah. Well, they broadcast yeah. so much of that in, in part one, too, because remember, they have that scene where um, the noble rabbit rocket is talking yeah. to mm. is talking to Thor and Thor has just recounted his whole thing with, well, yes, my brother is dead. My father is also dead. My sister is dead and killed most of Asgard. And then Rocket's like, you've got a mother, right? And he's like, nope, killed by dark elves and says, I have nothing left to lose. And Rocket says, I have everything to lose. And I was like, oh, that is, I was like, you do not say something like that in act one, especially with a character whose entire arc in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was his fear of abandonment. Like you don't, you don't put the abandonment issue on the table in act one. If you're not going to see his entire cast wiped out in act three, um, and that, and that, and then people have a rooting interest in seeing that restored the same way you're going to have a rooting interest in seeing whether Steve swaps his life for Bucky. We still haven't seen Steve and Tony reconcile with each other yet. So I felt like there were a lot of dangling strings that they left there as, as like a sign of faith where, okay, no, you know, we're going to fix this. And I loved the ending because I loved how inconceivable it is to Steve and Natasha that they're actually that that you know they actually didn't get the outcome they wanted like they're both like what the how, what the what the hey how <laughs> oh that's that's scarlett johansson's first opportunity to actually act in the whole film she was yeah. very poorly oh. served well, also i mean one. steve 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 can't comprehend that they have lost and he's still alive right like yeah like if they're yeah. gonna lose yeah. yeah you know they're superheroes mm-hmm. they're gonna have died before the world ends so what do you do when when all your friends just got raptured and you're hanging out there yeah you know? and that's a big difference between this movie and the empire strikes back i've seen the comparison in a lot of places but the empire strikes back actually does end with a win luke barely escapes and a plan uh to go rescue han uh this movie is i mean this movie centers around the villain and it's about the villain's quest and in the end the villain wins and that's it that's a bit of a downer I well, I love that because it's it's one of the first Marvel movies that actually does that, which is why I think it's so interesting. Is in every confrontation, I found myself thinking, "How is he going to win this one?" and being really interested in seeing how all of the heroes and protagonists that we've seen from other films, like what would bring them down. And the scene that they had on, um, I'm blanking on the name of the planet. It's the first one he destroyed. It's his home one. It's the it's the confrontation with the Guardians where Mantis hops on his shoulder. And I was watching that and I'm like, this is, I was like, they can't have this work this quickly in the film. And and of course it doesn't. But every scene, I just kept waiting to see how Thanos would pull it out. And I think that adds a little bit of tension to the viewing experience because you're like, am I rooting for this outcome? Or am I, am I just kind of like waiting for shoes to drop here? There's a lot of dread. And I kind of enjoyed that because... It, it it heightened the experience watching the film a little bit more. I had more of a rooting interest to 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 see how it was going to turn out. I, I think the interesting point here is is always you know dealing with death as a mechanic in comic book movies. We are trained in so many of these movies to have death be impermanent, and so as a result, its stakes are are lower in some ways. Even though you know for us as mortals watching this, death is the ultimate stake, right? But these are fictional characters, and they're fictional characters with supernatural abilities. Therefore, uh, the death sort of is is a different sort of of consequence or cost even the most uh you know quote unquote meaningful deaths in a lot of this series have on occasion been retconned i mean i think particularly of of phil colson being killed off in the first avengers movie to provide some stakes and of course he gets almost immediately resurrected on the tv series though his death still seems permanent i guess to all the avengers um 
so what's for me i i never worried or got super free like when you know even when gamora and loki get killed off early on in the movie it it doesn't hit me to the point of, i think that i hit someone you know like chip for example because to me my immediate feeling is like oh well this is this is not permanent right like how much are you going to make this permanent uh especially in this kind of uh of environment but i think you know the point made really well here a minute ago was the the question is 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 not if it, this gets resolved it's how it gets resolved because there is so much more depth uh in exploring these ways of you know what characters mean and like how their relationships interact and what they choose to do and how that ends up working out than simply whether or not somebody comes back to life and i think you know tony i think you put it really well when you're like steve being amazed at like that he's not dead because that is steve rogers right he's like i'm gonna give everything i got and i will die protecting this world Uh, and so the question of dealing with the fallout from that strikes me as way more interesting so i i think it is interesting to look at death overall as a stake in this because it's not quite the same way you know you think of something like game of thrones right where like Mostly people people die and don't come back. It's a very different universe, Most, very different definition mostly. there. Not entirely. Most, but, but not mostly. entirely, yeah. but mostly. I think I, I, uh, Chip mentioned Empire Strikes Back. I do think it is the closest analog. In fact, I, I saw um, uh, a friend of mine on Twitter say uh, that he felt like this was the first movie to really successfully do that Empire Strikes Back ending. Um, it's Chip is right. It's not the same. Um the hope is there, but the hope is earlier slightly, and it's buried a little bit. But it's Doctor Strange. Key, the key moment is that Doctor Strange says, oh, I just looked at 15 million possible outcomes of this, and there's only one where we win. And then mm. at that last moment, as he's dissolving, he says to Tony, this was the only way. And so mm-hmm. the movie has got it out there. Plus, we've seen that the the the, the green stone can wind time back. He has, He's like this. Uh, and we know, too. We know they're going to win. They're maybe costs but Mm -hmm. in the end they are going to win it might be the next movie and not that's not what we expected if we didn't know that this was originally part one but they are going to win and and it's laid out there like dr strange knows unfortunately he dissolved so he can't tell us how it's going to (laughs) go but he's seen it the other thing is who dies is interesting because who doesn't die is all of the Mm -hmm. original avengers and one of the (laughs) one of the interviews i read with the screenwriters suggests that if you have a problem with somebody not having enough screen time in this this movie it's probably because they have have lots of screen time mm. in the next in movie the next because yeah. i was sitting right. there thinking well of course spider-man is going to dissolve because they got to shoot a spider-man movie <laughs> and they're yeah. not going to have him wall-to-wall in the next one they're not going to have dr strange and black panther wall-to-wall in the next one because the next one is going to be about those original avengers as they you know band together one last time and probably make horrible sacrifices that are necessary to bring back everybody in the universe although tony and steve get a tony and steve both get a lot of screen time steve actually doesn't no. seem to get quite as much because he's the one he just shows up yeah well big because i think this is this is this is tony stark's swan song though and there was there was well there was a moment when you know when thanos stabs him and he's bleeding and he's spitting out the blood and i thought to myself this would be such a great and tragic ending for the character where he dies alone having failed 
on a, you know, and he's killed by an alien, which is like a thing he very obviously fears. Like, you know, for the past however many movies, there have been signs and portents all over the place that he's got serious PTSD when it comes to aliens ruining his planet. They foreshadow this exact scene in the beginning of Ultron where he touches the thing and he's like, I saw myself and all my friends were dead, basically, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then, you know, and then an Iron Man 3, which was before that, you saw that he had PTSD and then there was the whole Ultron thing. And he's been jumping out of his skin for however many movies because it's, it's, and Civil War was the same way where you can tell that he's he's not himself and he's like no 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 it's my planet my planet my planet and so i was like this would be an amazing and tragic and terrible death for him if, if Thanos did succeed in killing him on this planet and it turned out to be for nothing it would be the apotheosis of all of his worst fears and um it would it would be an it would be such a it sounds awful it'd be such a downer ending and it would be something people like oh my god wow um and they didn't go that way because, of course, then Doctor Strange hands over the stone completely in defiance of what he had said earlier. He's like, well, if it's you or the kid, I'll hold on to the stone. But um, that's I was a good like, okay, Benedict this- Cumberbatch you did there, by the way, too, with his weird Thank you. Fake I, I, American I, I, accent. Oh, I have been loved him in this movie. Yeah. I thought he was gr- I thought he was hilarious. Putting, uh, like- putting Spider-Man, Doctor Strange and Iron Man together was a good choice. Those oh, I thought those God. scenes were very, very good. The way Benedict Cumberbatch says, what is he, your ward? <laughs> I was like, oh, little reference, Little references going yeah, on there. Yeah, reference acknowledged. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by ZipRecruiter. Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. If you're hiring, you'll be delighted to know you don't just have to post your job online and hope the right people will see it. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for and identifies people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. One day, and you've got somebody who's qualified for that job. And it doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you'll never miss a great match. The right candidates are already out there for you. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes are trusting ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for absolutely nothing. By going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Snell. Hey, that's me. ZipRecruiter.com slash Snell. Thank you, ZipRecruiter, for supporting this show. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So one of the things I thought was really interesting about this movie was how they managed to seem make deaths feel real and permanent, um, which is pretty incredible considering what the ending is, you know, because I think if you had just had that ending where you'd seen everyone dissolve away, I think there would have been a little bit of a letdown because you know when you see that, that they have to undo that, that they can't let that many people and so many important characters die. Like, you know, I'm in Washington, D.C. In my movie theater, it was a vast majority of African-American people sitting around me, and you should hear there was no reaction to everyone else black panther goes and the whole audience goes oh no like oh you could God, just yeah. feel the reaction from everybody when that happened um but they managed to make a lot of deaths feel very real and permanent and there felt like there was a lot of stakes in this movie you know you have loki's death and it's very hard to make a loki death feel like a real final permanent death that felt really real
real and final yes, and permanent yes. to mm-hmm. me. Um, and you have Gamora's Heimdall's death, death that feels a Heimdall's, yes. The line that Thor says where he says, well, he's come back before, which is a good, like, hang a lantern on yeah, sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. But yes. this feels different. I really liked yeah. that. Like, this this seems like the real thing. And Heimdall, yeah, I was like, oh, it just helped yeah. no. But it, and it, it, it was, it did have, it, it really had an impact. It was such a great death, too, because it was heroic and and it sets the plot in motion. I think when you get to the next movie, you're going to have one of those final permanent deaths again. And my suspicion is it's going to be Tony or Steve making the sacrifice play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think both. that you have to. Yeah, possibly both. I think you have to do that to make Murder, those suicide. deaths feel real. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so speaking of Steve Rogers, like that, that is he's only in this movie a little bit. But uh, t- uh, Tony, you want to talk about Steve? I mean, I, I think Steve is my favorite of the Avengers or at least this 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 version of of Steve Rogers is my favorite uh of the MCU Avengers. Uh and it's it's rough cuz I felt like yeah Tony Stark gets a lot of uh a lot of attention in the in this first half of the two-part Infinity War. And you know, Steve is there, but he doesn't get to do much. He spends a lot of time like there's a lot of scenes where Steve is like walking into a new place and Steve is reacting to special effects and punching stuff. Uh but we don't we don't I don't know, we don't get to find much about Steve. I guess that they're like I mean, to me it was like where is Steve Rogers rousing victory speech or his or even his rallying speech like cuz that would have been a different way to end this movie is like, you know, we're going to come together and we're going to overcome this and they don't do that and maybe that's the first beat in the next movie right uh but yeah i was sad because i i mean he is present uh but uh i didn't get the amount of steve i i wanted to and it's i mean i guess it makes sense in terms of their your, your prediction that the people we didn't see much are going to get more in the next movie it's sad that i assume the people who faded away we're not going to see much of them at all in the next movie because you know some of them i felt like really like i felt like like they've been keeping bucky in the wings for a while and there was there was some bucky reckoning coming but but maybe, maybe there is not. The, um, so you, you talk about this fight at the end that Steve Steve's sort of in the fight at the end. And I, I think I because I love this movie. I thought it was great. I like it. I like it as Chip knows from my appearances on his Babylon 5 podcast. I, I like it when there's that ter- kind of turn and the and, and the story goes dark and you're like, oh, no, the bad guy won. I think it's I think it's a I think it's a a bold move. And to have the last scene be essentially Thanos sitting on this back porch looking at the sunset thinking, yay, I killed everybody or half. Looking at the whatever. sunrise on a grateful universe. You know, that is uh I thought that was great, but uh, my biggest criticism of this movie is the entire final Wakanda fight, because oh, although there God. are aspects of it that I really like, um, it does it does feel kind of like they needed they felt they needed a giant scope battle scene and i'm not sure it makes sense that there are a bunch of uh, what my wife said afterward is it's basically lord of the rings it's like oh there are yeah. some orcs and they're going to mm-hmm. they're going to come it's through it's very lord of the rings there's space orcs where are the battle rhinos like oh uh, yeah i did i did wonder about the rhinos cuz i like if the rhinos ever there's but, a fight where you want to bring the rhinos this is it but there's a moment where where Rhodey um, like carpet bombs at the entryway yeah, with his right. things, and 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 then everybody's like, no, no, hand to hand combat. That's the way mm. to go. Which seemed really bizarre to me, and and it did with something like Steve Rogers. You've got um, a lot of characters and Black Widow too. You know, you've got a lot of characters who kind of like this is their appearance. Is they kind of swept into this big battle, and you get to see them fight a little bit, but they kind of don't do anything else. And and my last point, and I'll open it up to everybody else who wants to talk about this part. But um, my last point is anytime something 
something reminds me of Star Wars Episode One. It's not the best <laughs> thing, and this this is and actually that's my favorite thing in Episode One is that battle on the green field and all that with the energy shield. But that's basically what this was. It's it's the same thing. It is it is a mass battle with a bunch of CGI armies running at each other and a bunch of close ups and the stuff with Vision and Shuri added tension and there were there were some funny lines and all that. But it did feel like not necessary for any reason other than that they wanted it to have a, a an epic battle feel at the end and i'm not sure the fighting made any sense because again the hand-to-hand combat i'm like why are you doing this i, I found my attention wandering i thought it was entirely too long yeah. i got I bored did. during yeah. it i, did. I didn't think they were necessarily like aiming to get the hand-to-hand so much as like people were getting through and that was how you're gonna have to winnow it out and to the point earlier about you know, I, I understand, you know, Lisa's point about the Wakanda and the post Black Panther and all that. But to me, what I thought was a little interesting and different about it was the fact that, you know, taking away from the previous, like the original Avengers, right, where New York is sort of the target and the battleground, as, as it often is in a lot of these movies. To me, like retreating to Wakanda was like, these are the these are the best, most advanced people we have if we are going to have a shot right like we have these guys have shields like new york doesn't have shields we will just be decimated in about 30 seconds um and so to me some of it was a uh an inherent trust and belief in the fact that like if any if we're gonna be able to get out of this like we're gonna need wakanda to get out of this because they are awesome um and so i you know i agree with you and they they needed to check certain boxes in terms of like getting characters and they need their fight 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 in order to like draw people in because you know giant battles is kind of a staple of this <laughs> it's their brand elements of the genre like i mean you know if you just sort of if it had ended with them like shooting a bunch of people from really far away with like you know drones or whatever i think they would probably would have felt a little anticlimactic the children of thanos could have come with a small powerful group instead of a giant army of orcs true but they didn't yes, right. they came with a giant it's more, fun to see, it's more fun to see people murder orcs because who cares because i mean when they when he showed his death cult i was like oh they're the anti-avengers what yeah. if it had been the anti-avengers fighting their way hand-to-hand through the palace instead but it was like no we need a big cgi battle on a field hundreds must die to justify mm-hmm. our box office dollars yeah but not the rhinos the rhinos were like no 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 we're gonna not save, not, save not the rhinos, risk the rhinos there aren't that many of them yeah exactly right exactly right <laughs> I like that idea. The throwaway line where we're where, where maybe T'Challa's like, "Are you mad? We want to make sure they still we have a healthy population of rhinos. We can always make more Wakandans. Rhinos are hard to come by." <laughs> Spoiler: The rhinos are robots. So. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Thanos next. How about that? We'll 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 do that. I, he he is the center. I I read several stories where the screenwriters said they approached Thanos as the main character in this movie that it's about him and his plan and as a result you you do get a sense this was said earlier you get a better sense of why he wants to do what he do and yes he is a comic book supervillain in the end he just wants to kill half the people but he he's given some motivation and he's given some backstory and he has to make some uh, legitimately difficult decisions when he's put at that in that moment where he needs to sacrifice his daughter and she hates him but he has shown throughout this film that he still loves her and then he has to sacrifice her and he does because he's a comic book supervillain but he feels really bad about it which is i think effectively done um so so we should talk about thanos a little tony do you have thoughts about thanos thoughts I, about I guess, thanos welcome to our new podcast thoughts, by the way everybody yeah, welcome thoughts about thanos, thanos thoughts. recorded on thursdays um 
Yeah, I guess I was perhaps my expectations were not well managed because I had a lot of people were referring to him as like the, you know, one of the best Marvel villains ever. And it's rough going from Killmonger to any villain. Yep. Um, so that yep. sets a yeah. high bar. So I think, I think my expectations were too high. I felt like there's too much. I mean, I think they do some interesting things with him and many other Marvel MCU villains are, uh, like I've forgotten them, even though I've seen the movies many times. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly I've forgotten their names, uh, or their motivations or why their crazy convoluted plans are what they are. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I my, my expectations were not met by Thanos and my expectations must have just been too high. There were, I mean, I think they did interesting things with him, but there's too much stuff about him that doesn't super make sense to me. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the whole like I. I mean, they they establish the like he has this supreme reason for why he wants to kill half of everybody, but he seems to also just like killing a lot of people, and he surrounds himself with this death cult who seems to li- like killing a lot of people because. You know, I mean, it seems like he kills half of everybody, except also when he kills everybody, like all the Asgardians, like all the dwarves that live on that planet where he leaves the one dwarf. I mean, it it just seems like maybe there were only of, two dwarves. There were only two dwarves. Dan, yeah, it's a big go, planet. When death is your hammer, every uh, every murder looks like a nail. Okay. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, but you oh, should you, you should only be pounding half you the nails. Yeah. that one. Yeah. Put that, yeah. yeah, put that on needlepoint. You know, yeah. I, I thought I, I maybe had the slightly opposite view of Tony in terms of. I came in having like a really low expectations for Thanos because he is this character we've had in like little tiny shots of basically for for years now. And I thought like, how interesting is this guy possibly going to be if his goal is just like killing everybody? Here's my question. If I think they had some interesting things here, but it all felt like a retcon because that was my thing was like, it feels like they came up with some interesting ideas for Thanos for this movie, they probably should have come up with a couple of them like 10 years ago to like <laughs> drop them into other little things or even like, like Guardians of the Galaxy with, with, uh, Gamora and Nebula. That would have been a great place to put in things, but it was like those things hadn't existed yet because they hadn't mm-hmm. made these decisions about this character, which is, you know, they, well, kind they did of a, some stuff. I mean, they did, they, stuff. they stuff stuff with like the daughter, you know, with Gamora yeah. and Nebula a little like bit, but yes, a his little home. bit, a little bit of a stumbling point for this movie that otherwise works pretty well in terms of we have these 18 previous movies that fit together mm. but it's kind of like they didn't have a plan for the villain until like a couple years ago well probably because they, they also they also changed stewardship of the universe a little sure. bit too right so yeah but, that's there's, how, there's but, that's, some... but i was I, I was promised a cinematic universe so. so the thing i i had one question about thanos when i was watching too questions about thanos we have thoughts about thanos hit us lisa well <laughs> what i noticed is at the very beginning um he does the thing with Loki where he's like, I'm happy to kill your brother if you don't turn over the stone. And Loki's like, get away! And then he folds like 15 seconds later. And um, that sets the plot in motion. And then you see the same thing happen with Gamora and Nebula, where Gamora finally cracks when Thanos is like, I will just continue to torture your sister in front of you for a while. Meep, 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 meep. Um, so my question is, was it just, you know, the screenwriter's thinking okay this is a very powerful trip so we're using it twice or is this going to be a clue as to a sibling of thanos who comes onto the scene later and that turns out to be a vulnerability that he understands that people can exploit or what because you with this movie is so deliberately made and so many details deliberately laid down why would you use the same 
Thanos turns the siblings' love to his own advantage. Like, why would you use that gambit twice in a movie if it's not going to mean something in the larger picture? The way I saw it was that it's basically talking about a for, uh, like a fundamental moral difference between all of the characters, that Thanos is willing to just kill off half the population of the universe because he thinks it restores balance and keeps, you know, planets from collapsing under themselves. And what you basically have is the hero's flaw is also that probably going to be their strength in the next movie, that these characters value an individual life so much that they are willing to make a play to try to buy themselves more time to save that life later on. Um, Because, you know, I don't think any of those characters hand over the Infinity Stone thinking this is going to, you know, be it. They're thinking a few steps ahead and thinking maybe there's something we can do down the line to get this back. You know, you've even got uh, Doctor Strange handing over the Time Stone and saying in the end it was the only way because for some reason in all of the features that he saw they needed Tony to be alive for that one. Um, so that to me is sort of where it came down to, to me, of the fundamental moral difference is, you know, these heroes are making the play of they're going to try to save one individual life because they see the value of it that Thanos doesn't. Alyssa, you were telling me something offline about uh, Thanos and Gamora's relationship, too. Yeah, I thought their relationship was really well done. Um, I thought that they developed the daughter relationship uh, very well because, I mean, let's be frank, uh, Thanos is clearly abusing all of his children to a degree and manipulating and attempting to brainwash them. Um, but I think that they did a very good job of deepening that. The thing that sort of bothered me was Gamora's death because it's the most earned death of the movie, I think. It's the one you feel the most about. Um, and that twist that happens that you know, Gamora is saying, well, you don't truly love anybody, therefore you cannot obtain the Soul Stone, and finding out that she's really the only thing that he truly loves yeah. is 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 particularly well done. Um, but you know, you've got you've got a, a pattern of you know men being willing to sacrifice women and women's lives to achieve their ambitions, which isn't great. And so it's one of those it's it's a way of proving his villainy that he would sacrifice the one thing he loves, his daughter, to do this horrible, terrible thing to kill millions more people and i'm just still not in favor of uh brutally and horrifyingly killing women on screen uh to show the villainly i don't know what's going to happen next year but i will say in the source comic that act is basically what gets thanos in the end the betrayal of, of so. a sibling by another a, a, you know because in the uh, i'll say it here because i don't know if they're going to do it exactly the same way but in the original comic it's Nebula who, in the end, basically defeats Thanos um, out of the rage of what he's done to her and, you know, and her sister. Um, the, depending on, you know, which Infinity story you look at, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it may be. But I, 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 I get your larger point. I, I did like the fact that we see those uh, two. We get to see um, Nebula and Gamora, who... In Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, one of the things I liked about it was that sort of like their relationship gets clarified a lot by the end. And you see it here where they are. Um, Ride or die for each other. Yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think that we get, I think we get another clue to the whole shebang at the very end where you see Thanos walking across that field of water to Gamora as a very little girl, which 
speaks volumes about how he still sees her and why he still loved her so intently. And she has the little gnomic discourse with him where was it all worth it did you get what you want and he's like yes yes it was then he comes back to himself and poof, off he goes and i thought well you know you wouldn't show us that you wouldn't show him talking to the soul of the person he sacrificed for the soul stone if we weren't going to see more about that in in a future film you know like there's going to be a sense of trading a soul for a soul or something like that or thanos is just not going to get how it works like despite the fact yeah. that he killed his own daughter he fundamentally misunderstands what it means to carry that responsibility and uh i think that's going to come back too i just i've this movie is so deliberately made there is nothing in it that has not been carefully pulled from source material or used to advance and culminate the storylines in different ways. And I was like, they've pulled the sibling trick twice. So this has to be going somewhere. Um, and I want to see where it goes. Yeah. I think, I think it must. I, I, I have to say, um, this goes back to my opening statement about how this was a very carefully done thing. And it does not that there aren't places where they're like, okay, this is, we were just, uh, saying in a, in our, in our little chat room aside while, while other people were talking that one of the questions is like, you know, Loki in the Avengers is working for Thanos. He's a very bad Thanos employee. He didn't get him the gym that he wanted the, the cosmic cube. But, um, there, and there's a line of dialogue that addresses that, but it does feel a little bit like, Okay, we need to address this, right? Uh, that, yeah. that's, well, it's, I mean, one line about why is Clint not here? Oh, dude, that totally sets up number four, though, because you know what's going to happen is his family was disappeared, and he's going to go all Ronin now because he no longer <laughs> has a wife and kids. That is absolutely what's going to happen. The, that, those are the less artful moments, but mostly I think this movie has has very carefully thought of um, what the moves are, where it's drawing from in terms of the past movies, what things it wants to uh, pull forward. And, um, and, and let's say I give this movie a lot of credit too, because it's funny. Like it is funny and knowing it, it, it's not a, fr- it is using the best of the sense of humor of the guardians, of the galaxy movies and Thor Ragnarok and Spider-Man homecoming to do, um, knowing things that are uh, funny lines, but they, they elaborate on characters and who these people are that we've been following for years. In some cases, um, they also deflate some of the, of the more kind of like pomp pompous or highfalutin things that you might get if you take yourself too seriously in a comic book movie. And I thought, that was all very effective that that this is a they're just i mean i can't even begin to count them so many very funny lines of dialogue and looks that people give each other and and that is i think because they could build on all of the history we have these characters Mm -hmm. these are people we know basically right they're not new characters we've Mm -hmm. just gotten to know we know them we know how tony stark works we know how you know we know how bruce banner works or whatever and Mm -hmm. and the and and how the guardians of the galaxy work and 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 some of the team-ups are just delightful and not what like like thor and and, yeah thor Thor and rocket are gonna spend a bunch of time together that is not something I so would have predicted, and so that's good. Sweet rabbit, noble rabbit. Yes. The fact that Thor took Groot as an elective. Oh, you speak Groot. Oh, it was an elective, and yeah. well, and that ultimately like... uses part of Groot to make the handle of his axe. Right. Yes. The best thing the Marvel universe has ever done with Thor is change him from a like you know leading and man and, yeah, yeah turning him into i and i know there are Thor fans derp. in our midst but making now. him into a derpy dude yeah. is actually he's delightful but it makes him so much more lovable and so much more relatable as a character i love his roles I, and you know as much as 
I, as much as I am personally a Natalie Portman fan, I think taking Jane Foster out of the equation just made him so much more of a interesting character rather than shoehorning him into a love story, which was fine, but not like maybe his strong suit. But Chris Hemsworth as the giant earnest you know golden labrador <laughs> a golden retriever <laughs> like he is great he is great in that role and i think that He's having so him funny. and rocket together here is amazing <laughs> they should go on road trips together my funny my favorite funny bit wasn't even a line it was that protracted stare that uh, tony gives drax and mantis when they screw up the kick ass and taking names line <laughs> just the, the, the protracted disbelief I read that they, they they apparently let the Guardians of the Galaxy actors ad lib most of their lines. There certainly was, and 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 you can see too that they they did a lot of consultation uh, about how the Guardians should be treated. Um, the um, what's his name, Guardians of the Galaxy director Gunn, yeah, yeah, James Gunn. Uh, yeah. uh, he he's credited as an executive producer. He definitely was consulted in sort of like how they that they wanted those bits to feel like the Guardians of the Galaxy because that's sort of like where the space stuff in the Marvel movies has been established more or less a little bit in Thor but mostly the the ground that is trod on out in space in this movie is kind of the Guardians of the Galaxy's purview and so they go with that and they're like all right you you haven't really thought of the Guardians of the Galaxy as Marvel movies it quite up to now uh but they are and and so when we show you space now it's going to be in the context of the guardians of the galaxy so you understand what you're seeing and we'll throw in thor and won't that be fun and the answer is yes that is a lot of fun yes. having <laughs> thor is a lot of fun i really enjoyed seeing um the guardians interact on earth because they seem so out of their element um i think the funniest moment for me was seeing um bucky pick up rocket yes. by the back and just <laughs> swing around with all of their guns and then that yeah. moment where thor is just like the tree is with me Groot says I am Groot and Steve Rogers so earnestly so deadpan I am Steve am Rogers, Steve Rogers. <laughs> is when I lost it because <laughs> they just they seem so out of place on Earth with the Earth Avengers <laughs> I, I did I, I think that exchange Lisa where uh, where uh, he says is Footloose still the greatest movie ever made to Peter Parker and he's like no it never was well I'm sorry <laughs> is, is Kev, like Kevin Bacon I've been away for a while he may be a member of the Avengers <laughs> <laughs> that was the one that got me. <laughs> yeah. So that 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 helps. I mean, and honestly, that 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 buys a lot of goodwill, I feel like, as you're watching the movie too. Like, all right, they know, we know, and they we know these characters and they're not taking it too seriously. And I mean, wh- given where that movie is going, <laughs> it's good that we had a good time. <laughs> And you, you kind of need the cathart you need the cathartic laughter too because yeah. I, f- I found myself laughing really hard at a lot of things and I was like it's because I'm so tense from from the other stuff because this movie hurdles inexorably towards its conclusion and you 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 can tell Thanos is going to win and so anytime something funny was there I was like oh I can laugh oh thank God <laughs> yeah I missed all the yeah. I missed most of the laugh lines the first time around because I was reacting so poorly to uh, the things that I was not being entertained by. Again, seeing the movie a second time, acceptance, the humor just sort of shines through. Tom Holland is a genius. Oh, God, Tom uh, he, he is. So good. And and I'd just gotten through watching uh, the Tobey Maguire uh, first Spider-Man a couple of days ago. And, oh, my God, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. Tom Holland is a precious gem. <laughs> well, and, and having we we came uh, af, after having watched Infinity War, my girlfriend said, "Oh, you know what? I I never watched Doctor Strange. Could we go home and watch that?" And I was like, "Sure." So we went home and watched Doctor Strange, which is the second time for me. And you know, the setting there are problems with that movie, no question. But in the setup that it gave us for having Stephen Strange in this movie. 
uh, you know, is is great. Uh, I, you know, rewatching it, I liked a lot of it. She enjoyed it as well, which she was not sure that she 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 would. Um, but yeah, I think having Stephen Strange as part of the Marvel universe and having that element of it is also just fantastic. I really, I really enjoyed him even more here mm-hmm. than I thought I would. Yeah, absolutely. The opening conversation he's having with Wong, where he's like, "You have no money," and Wong is like, "Dude, I'm a wizard. I don't, you know, I'm I'm a mystic. I don't need it." <laughs> Dude, you're and the, embarrassing me in front of the wizards. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, the fact that Tony could call him the wizards was just hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. It was just I I every time I, I started laughing, and it was it was I got to give Robert Downey Jr. a lot of credit. Like he as close to my my black plastic heart being broken was when he does the congrats kid you're an avenger thing with the knighting on each shoulder and i was like oh oh he doesn't want to do this and he so he so hates that he has to i i loved his interactions with tom holland as spider-man and i love his comedic um his comedic delivery it is just phenomenal it's wow whoever like when I marvel on huh, on a regular basis how lucky they were to get Robert Downey Jr. because I think he's had a whole lot to do with shaping the sensibilities of a lot of these movies in a way that, yeah. you know, imagine somebody else. We you would know? not be here if he didn't do what he did in that first Iron Man movie. That that really set the, the, the stage for all of this. I, as, a, as somebody who came to the Avengers in the 80s in the comics, I have to say that I really appreciated that this movie, uh, one of the very first scenes we see is, uh, is Scarlet Witch and Vision together, and they're they're basically on a date in the world's most romantic place, Scotland. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Um, My Edinburgh. I feel yeah. good about it. I love Edinburgh, Edinburgh so movie. much. It took me back. Oh, it was a great setting. Yeah. It was a great setting and, a, and a, a nice set piece. And of course, they get saved by, uh, by some, the train station, which I went to. Some loose to Avengers. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I want to. This is one grace note that I also like through the thing is I enjoy that Natasha seems to have taken a very maternal role when it comes to Scarlet Witch. And I I like that they've kind of worked out that dynamic where, you know, they get him on the plane and she's like, I thought we were clear with the rules. You know, you check in with me, young lady. And then later when, um, you know, Scarlet Witch is about to bite it and you're going to die alone. And she's like, no, she's not alone. And I was like, it's nice that they, they've established that vibe where she obviously feels responsible for um, Wanda in some way. And they laid the groundwork for that in Civil War, too. So it was nice to see that continued, even though they didn't make a big deal of it on screen. I don't know if that was something the actresses chose to pick up and run with or if that was actually something that we're going to see more of in, in the next movie. But I like that a whole lot. Um, other than that, poor Natasha didn't have a whole lot to do, which was very sad yeah. for me. No, hopefully, hopefully more the next time around. I thought the character that uh, stole the show uh, didn't have a much more screen time than Natasha, but still much more powerful presence was Okoye. Uh, and I was very glad to see that she survived uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the great dissolving, great <laughs> dissolving. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that she'll have a big part to play in the next part. The team up with her and Natasha and Scarlet Witch was, was pretty awesome. That was a, of the fight scene parts that were the hand to hand parts. I thought them taking on the uh, whatever the death Proxima cult lady. midnight. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sure, I have I, that name handy. I like that part because they were like they were they had that fight basically like in a trench, right? Yes. It was With like those we need to, rolling around because it was the fights where it's like we're just in a big field and there's just infinite bad guys was kind of boring. It was like yeah, let's go to this trench and have our little side battle. Although here. what my uh-huh. wife said was, why is it that the girls are fighting the 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 evil girl? 
and the boys are fighting the evil boy? And I said, well, I got no answer for that one. That's a good The evil PE teacher sorted question. it out that way. It was a little bit much. It was a little bit on the nose. But I think one of yeah, the uh, team-ups I was most surprised by was uh, Okoye and uh, Natasha. Yeah. Because they were two characters I never really would have thought to put together. <laughs> and yet it worked really, really well. Also, Okoye just like side-eyeing the heck out of uh, Hulk when he trips and falls in the middle there. Yes. Another great <laughs> humor so point. Great. The, um, there, there is a, uh, a gamble that they took with this movie, given that they didn't know how the reaction to Black Panther would be. And and they were like, you know, we're going to go back to Wakanda. And the way the movie puts it out there is like, everybody is going to be super pumped that we're back in Wakanda. And um, they they won that gamble because I was super pumped. I was like, yeah, it's like more Black Panther. Give me more Black Panther. It's great. But, you know, that was a risk because they made this movie. Uh, you know, they shot this movie like a year and a half ago, two years ago, and uh, and have been producing it since then. And then they shot Black Panther afterwards, so they're like, or or they were they were in process. I think that they were shooting Black Panther while this movie was being shot, but I think Black Panther was shot started while this movie was being shot and finished shooting while this movie was still being shot. Something like that. It's ridiculous how mm-hmm. how long they produced this movie and its successor. Um, but that you know, it pays off because you get to see those characters that we just saw, and that is. It, it, it adds, I think, resonance to that battle. Even though I don't love the all the orcs, the death orcs, whatever they are, pouring through the the uh, the, the the shield that gets opened up, it is nice to see those characters. It, it seems like they're taking a similar gamble with part two. In that, you know, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but like there are Marvel movies in between now and then they're going to clearly have a lot of bearing on on part two, it seems like. Look, looks like, I mean, they, they, what they seem to have done is so Captain Marvel is coming out, but by all accounts, it's actually going to be set in the 90s. Right. Mm-hmm. So so that allows them to bring back some characters who are not around anymore and lets us sort of like set up who Captain Marvel is. And if you did stick through the long end credit sequence to get to the end, Nick Fury has his pager. Space I pager. A, a, lot space of, pager. a lot of people in my pager. theater were very confused by that. I was so. too. I thought, I thought it looked like, kind of like the Nova symbol, but it's not. It's the Captain oh, Marvel it's, symbol. It's, I got it. As soon as he pulled out the pager, I was like leaning over my girlfriend like, let it say Carol. Let it say Carol. Yeah. Let it say yeah. Carol. It's calling Captain and then I Marvel. Went, yes, and I was like the only person in the theater I think who was that excited about it. But I fully expect the end credit scene, like post credit scene of Captain Marvel, to be Carol getting that text and then show up for the second Infinity War. And as for mm-hmm. Ant Man and the Wasp, which comes out later this year, I fully expect that that movie is basically set before this happens, and yes. that there yeah. will be yeah. a yes. house arrest, and there will be an yeah. end credit scene where they all dissolve. <laughs> And then, oh, yeah. right. You're, or where everybody except uh, Scott, because I'm pretty sure Scott's going to be in the fourth one. Yeah, that's the cheerful Jason that I know from the B5 podcast. <laughs> no, no, you need to dissolve Scott and keep hope. Come yeah, on, yeah, that, that, on. that's fine with me. Maybe, maybe they all, they all dissolve, and Michael Douglas is just standing there going, "What the hell?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the movie ends with Thanos smiling. All right. He has won. He's killed half the universe. A that's, lot of our friends are dead. That's the end, right? They're never going to make another Marvel movie. That's that's all it is. So how are how are we all feeling about the next untitled Avengers movie that will wrap this story up in a year? Are you excited about it? Are you 
questionable about it? Like, did this movie, after thinking about it a little bit, did the, does this get you pumped to be like, okay, how do they solve this problem and, and, and that that has happened here? Yeah. Or are you like turned mm-hmm. off by it? I'm curious Look, what people I, feel. I've watched, I've watched 18 movies, okay? 19, 19 <laughs> movies? I've watched 19 movies. I'm definitely not going to give up now, right? Like, that's the thing for me is I'm bought in. I've been bought in for years. It's going to take a hell of a You're lot. You're in the for- ecosystem, Dan. Yeah, Dan is a great cult member. I'd like to put that here. <laughs> can I tell I'm, you about I'm Thanos? Cult can I talk to you? Give you the good news about yeah. Thanos. I am. In- <laughs> can I show you Dan Moore and sunk cost fallacy <laughs> tattoo? Um, so. But I mean. Seriously, this delivered what I wanted from a giant crossover event, which is to get to see all of these characters from these different movies in one place doing superheroic things and cracking wise. Like, that was all I was looking for. And in that case, it, it hit my bar for it. It's not to say that I, I don't have, you know, nitpicks and complaints here and there, but overall, I felt like I knew exactly what I signed up for and it delivered on those counts. So absolutely. I'm going to go see the next one. I don't think this is not the place to cut your losses, right? Like for me anyways. (laughs) Yep. Sorry. Half people are dead. Oh, I'm out. They killed Heimdall. It's over. (laughs) I didn't give up on force Awakens. you know, the new star Wars after they killed Han Solo off. And I really like Han Solo probably a lot more than I like most of these characters. (laughs) Everybody else uh, feel the same way that in the end, uh, you know, you'll go and see uh, sure, whatever yeah. part two is called, oh, not yeah. part two. I, I want to see how they solve this problem. I've already dumped a lot of money into this franchise, so I might as well see it through. Um, <laughs> Alyssa, if it pans out, you get your money back after the next one. Is that how, is that how this works? <laughs> Look, I'm just waiting for Captain Marvel. That's all I'm here yes. for at this point. Like, let's get to Captain Marvel, folks. It's a big pyramid scheme. You get uh, you get half the money back, but the people you bring into the movie theater only get a quarter of the money back. It's something like that. <laughs> so is that the title of the next event? Avengers movie, Avengers sunk costs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's Avengers ow. put it all on red. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. The Alyssa and I both have a friend um, who, who is a, he's not quite a Thanos cultist, but he gave, he pushed the Thanos quest and Infinity Gauntlet comics on me, and I was like, yeah, and he was like, what, eh? Yeah, this is, Thanos is, an amaz- uh, is the most amazing character. And they tried to do that with Thanos in this movie. And I think that they mostly succeeded, especially after the second viewing, viewing as I've stated. But I really want Avengers to be the heroes solving the problem. I really don't want Avengers Part 4 to be another Thanos movie. I want it to be the Avengers stopping Thanos. <laughs> Thanos Part 2. That's the worst! Yeah, that would be that would be really bad if they're like, no, actually, Thanos just wins even more. He's like, what if what if half the current people in the universe, what if they die? That would take us down to a mm-hmm. quarter. Mm, that might be even better. Let's do Ooh, that. Thanos, the Thanos paradox. You guys are not going to like our new slate of three Thanos movies a year. So <laughs> <laughs> the audiences get smaller each time. The second one's a heist. <laughs> Stick with me. <laughs> so what would be what would be worst is if. Uh, Thanos is his own worst enemy, and the fourth the fourth movie ends because Thanos quits or Thanos outsmarts himself or whatever, which is kind of what happened in some of the comics. I want Steve and Tony to win, whether they yeah. survive or not. I want I want the heroes to and Carol Carol. I've got to assume that Captain Marvel's a big part of this. I want the heroes to beat Thanos. 
Yeah. I will be very unhappy if that does not happen, and I will demand my money back. I think that has to be the answer here, right, is that there will be sacrifices that, that are made and that... You don't put a soul stone in the first half of the movie and talk about the need for one soul to exchange for another in order to power the soul without it coming back in the other movie and seeing who's willing to sacrifice for whom. Is it going to be Tony sacrificing himself for Steve or vice versa? We don't know. Uh, it's probably going to happen, though. Chekhov's soul stone. Yeah. yeah no, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of groundwork they laid here where where they're, they're telling us basically how Thanos is going to be defeated. It's just a question of whether the heroes can figure it out. Right. And in the comics, the soul stone, the idea there is that it, it is absorbing the soul of whoever has been sacrificed so that theoretically Gamora is like in soul stone world. Um, which is, uh, maybe they will go down that path too. I don't know. Oh, I wanted to mention it I, about a week before this movie came out. I said to myself, you know, I know this is a wacky idea, but I wonder if we'll see the red skull because <gasps> in the first movie, everybody's like, Oh, the red skull dies. And he's like, does he though? He kind of is holding the cosmic cube and then he vanishes and we mm-hmm. see that he has been banished to be on this mountain. Uh, yes. And it's a it's a surprising little cameo that I yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Space, oh my God. space is weird. It's real convenient that only one person has touched that cube because that that uh, that uh, that mountain loses a lot of its majesty if there's like 15 wraiths being like, I am condemned here <laughs> and I am also <laughs> condemned here. Let me show you the way. But wait, I am also condemned. I, I thought the reveal was good, although slightly lessened by the fact is I listened quietly the whole time and went, it's not. I think that's yeah. Hugo Weaving, is it? Nope, it's not. No. Mm. No. no. Hugo Weaving was very clear. He was like, I've made my movie. I'm yeah, done. It's too, <laughs> he had a very distinctive voice, and I'm like, he doesn't really sound German anymore. Like, well, it's been, that it's been a long time. He's lost it's his okay. accent while being sure. on. Plus, space and time moves differently, so we don't know how long Red Skull has been there, because for all we... He says it's been there a while, though, right? It yeah. certainly yeah. feels yeah. like a while. He's been getting voice lessons from one of the other right so he's lost his accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, would you die, Red Skull? And he picks up his socialist politics. The guys who wrote yeah, this movie, it's... I believe, wrote that movie, the, that first Captain America movie. And so I feel like that all along they're like, no, no, he just disappeared. Maybe we'll bring him back later. And I thought that would happen, but I was surprised that that was the moment. And I was like, oh, they did. They did bring him back. That's I've been I've been holding out on that one for a while now. Uh, you know, we uh, on one level, we've only scratched the surface here. On another level, um, I didn't want to go through every character because we would be here all night. And also, you know, we've only ever seen this movie once or twice. But it's certainly really interesting. I think the the choice that Marvel made to have it have a downer ending, to, to have it be that Empire Strikes Back-ish kind of thing where, you know, you, you in the shape of a story, you take people to a low point and then you bring them back up on the other side. Usually that happens inside a movie here. They decided to kind of cut it at the low point and make everybody think about what they've done for the next year. But I predict, given how this movie did in the, in the first weekend at the box office, that uh, audiences will be back to see exactly how our heroes save the day in the next movie. Because, uh, come on, you know they will. It's just a matter of how and who might have to sacrifice to save the universe. But uh, it's a good first conversation, and I'm glad we had it. We don't always do these, but... Um, you know, I, I saw it and I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, we should probably talk about this movie. <laughs> There's, it, it, it does some surprising things that I, I, uh, I wanted to talk about. And I'm glad we did. 
So consider this our first cut on Infinity War or uh, after Weekend 1, after just seeing it once or twice and not being able to study it intently. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it again sometime. But for now, I want to thank my panelists for taking time out of their weekend to see a movie and then talk about it. Dan Warren, thank you. Mother. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> if only there was a snake on a plane flying by in that scene. Uh, oh, Lisa Schmeiser, thank you. Thank you for having me. Tony Sindelar. Uh, you know, Tony spelled backward is why not? I am Tony Sindelar. <laughs> uh, Chip Sutter, thank you. I am not Tony. <laughs> And Alyssa Frankie, thank you. I am Steve Rogers. <laughs> wait, wait, there's a, an Ant-Man and a Spider-Man? Anyway, uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening to this special Flash edition of The Incomparable. We will see you next week with a more normal episode, uh, probably. Goodbye. Goodbye.